Well, good morning, Arbor. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike, and uh, it is just such a joy to be on this journey with you. You probably know that Pastor Jake is a great fisherman. Me, not so much, not so much. I, I don't do it very often. I don't have much practice at it, but a few years ago, my sister Becky was getting married, and her fiance, Vaughn, had rented this deep sea fishing experience for all of the groomsmen. So I go out with all these guys and I just catch fish after fish after fish. I mean, honestly, like I, I blew everyone on the boat away. And I know, I know it's not a competition, but if it was, I would have won. And on this day, I keep pulling in fish that are about 12 inches. And it turns out that the fish that I'm catching, they need to actually be 14 inches in order to keep. So I'm throwing all those back. By the end of the day, I actually pull in a big one. It was about 15 inches long. And it turns out that that fish I caught needed to be 17 inches long to keep. So all day long, catching, releasing, catching, releasing. But I started to have this thought that it was actually really fun. Catching fish was a lot of fun, and then releasing them back into the ocean was fun because I just imagine these fish having a profound sense of gratitude that they now continue to get to live the life that God had in store for those little fishy brains. Um, everything was good, you know, except for maybe a little scar on the lip. Anyway, this idea of catch and release uh, it kind of goes in with this idea of ebb and flow. It goes in with this concept of how God has created us. You might want to think of inhale or exhale. You might want to think of intake or outgo. You might want to think of receive and then give. Because that's kind of at the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. Arbor, we've been in a series on worship, and we've been tracking through this concept that God has actually made us with worship in mind, that he is the one who has designed us to worship, and, and how we best come alive is when we live a life of worship. And there are so many different ways for us to worship. But what I get the privilege of talking to you about today is how giving, how generosity, how sacrificial offering to the Lord is a form of worship. And I'm actually quite excited to do this because over 29 years, I've given a lot of messages on giving, but always as a pastor with sort of a stake in the game. This time, I actually just get to come as a practitioner. I just get to address this topic as a giver, as a participant, as somebody who, who chooses to worship God in this fashion. And, and, and I also want you to know, Arbor, that, that Pastor Jake has made it clear to me that, that Arbor, you're doing a great job of financial faithfulness, that your stewardship is beautiful, so I wanna say thank you for that. This is not gonna be one of those hand-wringing, kind of guilt-inducing messages, just a joyful message about how God's plan for our abundance involves generosity and how giving is a, is a massively beautiful form of our worship to him. Okay, we're going to start this with, with an episode in the life of Jesus and his disciples. So let's jump in. This is from Luke chapter 21. It says this. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus... But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. 
All right, so let's unpack that just a little bit, and we'll back up, because in Matthew chapter 6, this was before this episode, Jesus actually is instructing his disciples, his followers, about how to give, and he says something interesting. He says, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and he said there's a reason for this, because if you give in secret, then your heavenly Father, who sees what's done in secret, will be free to reward you fully. But he says, if, if you do it, sort of make a show of it, and other people see, then you've lost your reward. Or maybe not lost it, but you've already received it in the form of other people thinking well of you. And so that's why Jesus says, hey, do this in secret. But, but notice here in this passage we looked at that, that giving is not done in secret. It's way out in the open. It's almost like this public event, like a, like a giving parade. And the wealthy are coming in, and they're kind of making these announcements like, this is my gift, my family's gift to the Lord. And then they're dumping in their, their gifts. It's like, you know, I can picture, you know, a, a bucket of pennies they're pouring in in this huge metal you know offering bucket kind of container and so everyone in the temple hears it and go, oh wow that sounds like a jackpot well done you know and uh, so it's just this very public kind of event and Jesus is saying look if you're giving with the with the benefit of having other people see you give your gift then who are you actually giving for Jesus is saying you're at least partially giving for yourself, for, for what you're going to receive in terms of other people thinking highly of you. So that's kind of what Jesus is going after there. But the other thing I want you to notice about the passage is this, that, that Jesus is watching. And he says, you, you know, your heavenly father is watching uh, when you give, but, but Jesus is here and he is free to watch. And for me, this is just one more of those examples in scripture where Jesus says, hey, I do what I see my father in heaven doing. That I say what I see my father in heaven saying. And, and so Jesus is just once more communicating the unity and the singular purpose that he and the father share. The last thing that I want this, this verse to kind of highlight for you is it's careful to mention that, that most of the people that are giving in the temple are wealthy, it says. So as they are wealthy, they're giving out of their wealth and it's easy to assume that they're giving just a small fraction out of their, out of their resources. In fact, they have this surplus and so they're giving just a tiny percent of that surplus. So right away, we see Jesus watching, and he's watching with the Father's perspective, which means that he's paying attention to three things. Check this out. He's paying attention to the amount that's given, he's paying attention to the percentage that's given, and he's paying attention to the motive with which it's being given. And in the midst of all this, this poor widow comes, and she drops in two small coins. Now, I wish that we had more detail about how this scene was unfolding and the re reaction of the disciples in this moment. And I, I wish we would have seen what they were noticing, what they were chatting about, because I can imagine that they're just watching this whole line of rich people and they're talking about, oh, check that guy out with his Armani robes, you know? Look at that guy, he's got $500 Birkenstocks on and, and somebody else, oh, she's carrying this Hermes Birkin handbag. I don't really know what that is, but I Googled it. I guess it's a, an expensive bag. Anyway, there's these wealthy people, one after another, all in line, waiting to give their gifts. And they're given big gifts. Like one guy comes and drops the deed to his fourth summer home on the coast of Joppa. 
Another guy comes and he drops his 60-inch plasma, you know, LED screen, TV, because he's upgraded to a 90-inch screen. And so he, so he gives this one to God. And, and then this other guy comes, he drops his keys to his Lexus. It's because he's upgraded to a Maserati. And each time the disciples are looking at the gifts and they're looking at the people, they're going, oh, sweet. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, look at that gift. Oh, check that out. And they are only impressed with the amount. They're only seeing a third of what's going on in each situation. And then this humble widow comes and she joins the procession and, and she probably can tell that she's underdressed for the occasion. She's wearing robes that maybe were in 10, 15 years ago. Sandals so thin it's like going barefoot and, and she's clutching these two coins in her hand tightly as if they are so precious because to her they are. They represent 100% of her resources materially. And as she drops them in, they make the tiniest noise as they rattle down to the bottom of the collection barrel. And the disciples don't even notice what's going on, but Jesus notices. You see, Jesus takes all of this in. He sits up. He recognizes what's going on. The disciples, they were impressed with the others, and they barely noticed this woman, but to Jesus, she's the one shining bright. The disciples, they were impressed with the size of the gift, with with, with the size of, of what was being offered, but Jesus was impressed with the size of her heart. And at this, he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. He puts them all together. And then he tells why, because they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You see, Jesus is viewing her through the eyes of the Father. He, he does see the amount, but that's not all that he sees. He sees the percentage, which in this case is 100%. And he's recognizing that all these other people are giving out of their wealth, out of their surplus, and he, he can see the percentage that they're giving. Oh, that's 1%. Oh, that's 2%. Oh, that's 6%. Okay. These are great things. It's not a bad thing. But they don't even measure up to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant standard of 10% of everything that was to be given to the Lord. It was to be returned to Him for all of His provision over our lives. And, and so as impressive as the show might be when somebody parks their boat next to the offering bucket, Jesus sees what is given next to what is withheld. Jesus sees the gift right next to what is kept back. And Jesus is not impressed with the show. He never has been. And so he sees her gift, the amount of two coins, and he sees her percentage, which is 100%, and he sees her motive, her motive, which is beautiful, her motive, which is deep, her motive, which is love. It's adoration, it's devotion, and it's expressed in sacrificial worship. And so more than anything else, this is what Jesus notices and this is what he affirms. And friends, this is what Jesus wants to set us free into, to live in this practice of worship through giving. It's part of why God commands us to give because this is how he sets us free. I know if you're a parent, you're probably doing a great job teaching your kids how to share, how to be kind, how to, how to be generous, how to be giving. I, I remember one scenario when my daughter, Alex, was young. She was about three years old, and we were having this daddy date. 
And so we had all kind of jumped in the car. We were ready to go out on an adventure. And so I asked her, hey, at the beginning of our daddy date, baby, what is it that you'd like to do first? And she informed me that what she'd like to do first is Wendy's French fries. And so because it was a daddy date and because I basically obey my daughter, I said, all right, let's go. And I took her to the Wendy's drive-thru, ordered up some fries, and I grabbed them and I pulled them into the car and they kind of wafted right by my nose. It smelled so delicious. And then I, I, I hand them back and, and my mouth starts watering and a little bit of salt got on my fingers. It tasted so good and my stomach starts to rumble. And so, so I just turn around and I say, hey, sweetheart, Hey, baby, can daddy have a fry? And she smiled at me. It was just the sweetest smile. And she said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And I, and I fought her. I said, well, sweetheart, honey, uh, Alex, baby, listen, I, I, I don't want them all. Like, I, I want you to have all the fries. I really do. I, I just was wondering if you'd let daddy maybe have one or two. And she said, no, not a good idea just as sweet as could be. And at that point, I, I really wanted to, to argue with her a little bit and just help her understand sort of the larger scenario, which is that I was the one who provided those fries. For, I literally sort of, I procured, I created them for her enjoyment in that moment. And not only that, but I bountifully provided the clothes that she was wearing and the car seat that she was sitting in and the car that we were riding in as we went out to have this adventure together. And it's like, how in the world was I reduced to begging my daughter for just a portion of what it is that I had provided for her? And yet, friends, we do that same thing to God all the time. We do that same thing to God all the time. We have received so much from him, and yet we begrudge offering him just a little bit at the front end of it. And and, and the key here is that the scripture says what we offer to God needs to be our first, and that's synonymous with our best. Not the leftovers, but as a part of our worship to God, we come and we offer him our gifts first. But the key to being willing to to worship through giving, to be able to worship sacrificially, is it begins with trust. We have to trust, and here's here's kind of one of the main truths. We have to trust that God understands my needs. God understands my needs. I have to trust that he built us, and that means that he understands us and our needs probably more than we can understand our needs on our own. What I'd love to do is I'd love to just buzz through what it is that when we talk about the needs of a human, the needs of a whole human being, what they are, and I'm just gonna borrow a list, you might be familiar with this, from a guy named Maslow, and Maslow created this theory called the hierarchy of needs in which each need sort of rests upon the other one. It it builds up through this hierarchy. But the first one is just basic needs. And that makes sense, right? That, That there are physiological needs which are obvious and necessary for our survival as humans. So you're just talking about food and water, you're talking about clothing and shelter, you're talking about sleep, just things so that the human body can function. What's interesting is the scripture actually speaks to this. And in 1 Timothy 6, 8, the apostle Paul writes, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. It's a beautiful place to start. If the Lord is providing for our basic needs, let's start there with our contentment. 
The second, again, the next level up is our safety needs. And this is once our physical needs are being cared for, our focus becomes on safety concerns. And this is where we, we just desire a fairly predictable world where danger or unfairness or inconsistency are somewhat under control. We know they won't always, they won't ever be all under control, but just a little bit of predictability helps us with our safety needs. The third is the need for belonging. The need for belonging, and, and this is to be loved and to love. It's the need for acceptance. And if they're absent, then we just know that social anxiety and depression can arise. In fact, Mother Teresa says this. She says, loneliness is the worst form of poverty. So we need to feel that we belong. The fourth level is our esteem needs. Esteem needs are when individuals feel comfortable with what they've accomplished from a success or status standpoint. It's where you can sort of look yourself in the mirror and feel good about what it is that you've been involved in, what it is that you've been able to contribute. I do want you to note that belonging and esteem flow best from a position where we are certain of our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. When we are certain of our position and our identity in Him, that's when esteem and belonging flow sweetly. The fifth need is the cognitive needs that we have. And this is where as humans, we wanna increase our intelligence and our knowledge in in order to gain a better understanding of the world around us. Biblically, this is called loving God with our minds. The sixth level is aesthetic needs. And this is where we find ourselves needing to be refreshed by beauty and nature and art and music and architecture, other things in life that are beautiful that the world has to offer. And I do want you to understand that it's in the beauty of nature that God's kindness first comes to us and and gets our attention. It's a powerful, powerful need that we have. Number seven is self-actualization. This is when we seek to actualize our potential, when we strive to be the very best that we can be. As all these other areas of our lives are being met now, to quote Maslow, what man can be, he must be. In other words, this idea of achieving our pinnacle position, it's actually something that I focus a lot on in my coaching practice. This is the abundant life. And as we enter into this abundant life as self-actualized humans, it leads us to the last and final need. And this is really beautiful. It's called transcendence. That's what Maslow calls it. But basically, this is having personally achieved this level of actualization, we now desire to help others actualize. So this is where we come alongside and we bring others along and, and we take things to this other level of being. We call this living a with God life. Living a with God life where we're certain of our position as his son or as his daughter and we're living with him as we help others to live the fullest life possible. And and whether or not you're a Maslow fan or not, that's really beside the point. The point that I'd love to have you see is this, how every level, every one of these things identified, they're all legitimate needs. In other words, our need for belonging is every bit as legitimate as our need for food and for water. And I bring this up because you need to know that God knows all your needs. God understands all your needs. God made you the unique human being in his image that you are and he knows everything about you and he knows every need that you have, every need that you will ever have. 
And with that in mind, take a look at this next verse. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, you have to see this. You have to see that God loves you. You have to see that you are made and you are his precious son or daughter and he desires to meet all your needs. You can trust that he will meet all your needs because there is this lie that creeps in and the lie is, well, maybe he won't. And the lie easily comes to this next level of maybe God won't meet all my needs and maybe if I just had a little more money, then I could meet my needs myself. Now, I recognize that financial stress is a reality, especially, especially in the season of COVID and financial uncertainty. Um, but listen, more money does not equal more happiness. In fact, I, I wanna say this very clearly. It might actually be true that more money equals more unhappiness. And I'll cite just one real example. Have you ever heard of the phrase lottery winner's curse. Have you ever heard of that? You might wanna Google it sometime. It is really, really fascinating. But I'll just share one story. Uh, it's, there are stories about how after somebody comes into possession of an incredible amount of money that their life just takes a nosedive. And a few years ago, the winner of the $350 million Powerball, this was on the East Coast, after the, in the years after he won the money, he lost his wife to divorce, he lost his granddaughter to overdose, he lost his license to DUI, he lost his fortune to strip clubs and swindles, and today he's literally bankrupt, alone, and sad. And he is on record saying, I wish I had never bought the ticket. Friends, let me tell you what's better than just a whole stack of money. God's blessing, God's presence, and God's blessing. Look at this in Proverbs 10.22. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Don't you want that? I mean, that's what I want. That's what I pray for. That's what I want for my family, for all my friends, for our church. See, there's this word that I think is a beautiful word and it gets talked about and sometimes it gets uh, manipulated in church culture and it's the word prosperity. And I do believe in prosperity because Jesus actually promises that we can live the life abundant. But the prosperity that I focus on, I, I, I believe is absolutely centered in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the most prosperous human ever. And it's not because he had millions in the bank, because he mastered every situation that he was in. He just rose above, no matter what the circumstance. And friends, you know this, he owned no house. He owned no car, no camel, no business. He had one robe and he had one pair of sandals. And yet all his needs were met all the way through the hierarchy of needs. I found this famous quote, you might get a kick out of it. It's, if I could just get more money, then I could be more like Jesus, said nobody ever. You see, money isn't the answer, and money can actually make things worse. Look at this verse from Proverbs 119. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money, it robs them of life. 
Isn't that interesting? It's not money that robs them of life. It's greed. Greed robs us of life. Therefore, generous living is the key to the abundance that God has for us. We trust that God understands our needs and that God will provide for our needs because, friends, I want to be really clear. God does not want us to worry. He wants us to worship. Scripture says this in Matthew 6, and again, this is Jesus talking, Sermon on the Mount. This is so core for our understanding as followers of his. Jesus says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Isn't that a great passage? He will certainly care for you. I'd love for you to say that personally. God will certainly care for me. You see, he understands your needs better than we understand them ourselves. And he loves you. He loves you more than the birds. He loves you more than the flowers. He will certainly care for you. He does not want you to worry. And then the question is why? Well, the answer is because God is a good father. God is a good, good father. You know, Jesus actually uses this as an object lesson with the dads in the crowd that he's talking to. He says, you know, you, you have kids. He says, when they ask you for a fish to eat, do you give them a snake? When they ask you for bread, do you give them a scorpion? Even if they're hungry for a meal, do you give them a plate full of rocks? And, and you say, well, maybe I do if it's for a Jimmy Kimmel video. But, but the reality is, no, you don't because you love your kids and you want to bless them. You want to give them what it is that is good for them. And God loves you and he wants to bless you because he's a good, good dad. And I am a dad. I got three kiddos and, and I'm like so many of you parents. I want my kids to really thrive. I want them to grow into their God-given adventure and calling. But right now, things are a little bit crazy in our home, right? We struggle. I got three teenagers, so we struggle with all kinds of stuff that teenagers are dealing with, especially in this season of online schooling. We got sibling rivalry. We got sassiness. We got time management. We just have COVID life, everybody at home all the time. And, and yet there are these elements of parenting that I just love and and that I try to do really well. For example, I try to provide really well for my kids. Basics, of course, like food and shelter and clothing, but a foundation. I have never wanted my kids to worry that they wouldn't have enough, that we wouldn't be able to make it. And not only that, but love. I, I try to communicate love to them all the time. I tuck them in, I hug them, I, I hug them out the door. There are prayers, there are kisses. They know that their earthly father loves them fiercely and steadfastly. In the midst of that, I want to be really clear. I do not give them what they want all the time. In fact, I would tell you because I love them, I do not give them what they want all the time. My kids could probably give you a list of the things that their dad has not given them that they want. 
When they were younger, it was so funny because they would be, you know, watching cartoons and a commercial would come on for some toy or something and they would say, oh, dad, dad, I need that. I I, I gotta have that. Dad, I need that thing. And I'd be like, you don't need that. You didn't know it existed three minutes ago. There's no way you need, you didn't need it then. You don't need it now, right? And you just recognize that, that having more stuff does not increase our fulfillment. However, occasionally I do try to just bless their socks off. I try to just stoke them out. Uh, there, there was a season in my kids' elementary years when all the kids seemed to be crazy for something called Pokemon. Right? They played this game called Pokemon, they collected Pokemon cards, and, and that my kids were talking about it all the time. I would play with them, and of course I never figured out the rules. The rules seemed to change every game, but, but I would just be with them in this. And so I happened to be at the store and I saw in the checkout there were these Pokemon cards for sale. So I thought, oh, you know what? This might be an opportunity for dad to shine. And so I grabbed a few of those packets and the next day I made their lunch for school and I slipped in the Pokemon packet and just a little love note from dad and sent them off to school. They had no idea it was there. Well, later that day, I got an email from my son's first grade teacher, Miss Miss Stookie, and, and Miss Stookie, uh, she wanted to congratulate me. She said she had never seen something as exciting as my son Caleb open up his lunch and discover those Pokemon cards. She said he literally ran around the table and showed everyone in his class all the cards that his dad had got him, and his smile was just beaming. It just was this beautiful, beautiful scene. I was, I was so happy as a dad. And then she went on. She said, but, but because of their popularity, Pokemon cards are banned from school. Therefore, I had to confiscate them. And if you would read your emails from me a little more carefully, you would have known this. So, you know, maybe it wasn't a full dad victory, but I just want you to see that, that I, I was just trying to stoke my kids out, not because they needed those cards, but just because I knew they wanted them. And friends, that's God's heart for us as well. Our, our, our good father delights when we are delighted. Look at this scripture from Romans eight thirty one. The apostle Paul says, what, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Oh, don't miss that. You see, the Lord delights to give his children all things, things that will bless us, things that he knows that we need. He is our provider, so he gives us all things. And by the way, this verse says, the biggie that he has given us is his son, Jesus. He's already given us this massive amount. So anything else he gives will just be small change compared to what Jesus has already meant for us. He is such a generous God, such a giving father, and that's why we can worship him in kind by giving back. See, the next truth is this, that God provides generously and that God blesses us generously. That's who he is. This is a part of God's nature. We know God is love. We know from John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave. This is the generosity of our father. James 1, 17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, every good gift is from God. 
Every blessing in your life is a gift directly from our loving Heavenly Father. It's a gift from the hand of Jesus himself. He's the one who blesses us abundantly. And so our response is simply praise and worship. It's adoration and devotion. It's sacrificial giving just like the widow because of how good God is to us. And I wanna close our time together by pointing to the most important truth I know. And it's this, that the greatest provision and blessing God can ever give is himself. It's his presence. It's just his spirit in our lives. God's greatest gift that he could ever give to you, that he could ever give to me, is simply God himself present with us. This is Emmanuel. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. And friends, I want you to understand that that is the perspective of that poor widow. That's why she was able to take those two coins and drop them into the collection bucket. It's, it, it's why she was free to come with this motive of sacrificial worship because she knew that the Lord was her shepherd. She chose to trust that he would meet all of her needs. And so she gave a certain amount. It was 100% with the motive of sacrificial worship. And Arbor, that's what I would encourage for you, that as we come to the end of this thing, that we would recognize that that really is the pathway to our own abundance and our own freedom, is that we would come recognizing all of the beauty and generosity and blessing that God has poured out on our lives, and we would just offer it back to him full willing because we trust that God knows our needs and that he will meet our needs. Why don't we pray together?